And if you've got your Bibles, I want you to open those. We're going to be in a couple of places this morning. It's really good to see you. I want to thank Greg Baker who for preaching in my stead last week. Uh, Greg runs our fifth and sixth grade ministry here called The Bridge. He will also be escorting a group of 12 boys between the ages of third and sixth grade to summer camp along with a couple of our other adult men. So if you could say some vigorous prayers for them this week, that would be fantastic. Uh, We're starting a series this week on the fruit of the Spirit. Notice I did not say fruits. Uh, I love the idea and the concept of the fruit of the Spirit in Scripture. I remember years ago uh, hearing a song where you would sing of the fruit of the Spirit And one of the ways that you would teach children about them was you would let them know that the fruit of the Spirit is not a Granny Smith apple, to which I fully agree. Uh, So let's just read together in Galatians chapter 5, but we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning in John chapter 13. But the fruit of the Spirit, let's read what Scripture say to us, beginning in verse 16, about these fruit. I say then, walk by the Spirit. And you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning about these things as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not be conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. As we look at the fruit of the Spirit, you notice that there is the there are these active terms that line up with this. And our focus for today is going to be on the fruit of the Spirit that we are familiar with called love. As a matter of fact, over these next nine weeks, we're going to divide these up and look at places in the Bible where we see the various fruit of the Spirit uh, manifested. We want to look and see into uh, the Gospels where Jesus manifests love and models for us love. We're going to look and see where joy is displayed. We're going to see where faithfulness is displayed. But today we're going to focus on love because it's the first one out of the gate. And I'm gambling that it is the one that you and I in some sense have the most familiarity with. The idea of love. We have people that we love. We have friends that we love. We have puppies that we love. We have 
pizzas that we love. We have guacamole that we love. We have lots of things that we love. So we're going to spend our day discussing that together. I love certain things. I also hate certain things and sometimes love and hate come together. I have a love-hate relationship with McDonald's and I believe that you may feel the same way about McDonald's. My mouth loves their french fries. My arteries hate their french fries. When I think about McDonald's, I think about how I love their chicken McNuggets. I hate the fact that they may or may not be actual chicken. I have a love-hate relationship with the way that McDonald's interacts with me because they want to expedite service. So when you walk in like I did this morning to see the service expedited, the first thing they do is tell you, hey, make sure you use the board. That will make your service quicker. They have this board where you can push things because, you know, we live in a world where we need more screens. But what I wanted to order from McDonald's was not on the screen. So I have to interact with the sweet lady at the counter who is really doing a great job. If I'm just being honest with you, she was fantastic. Now, the squirrels that were working in the back that they have put McDonald's hats and badges on are a different thing altogether because they were just throwing people's food at random people. No one was getting their appropriate food. I have four children. That means that I have to feed four children on the regular They handed me, when I ordered four sausage McMuffins and hash browns, they handed me one steak, egg, and cheese bagel. Like I was going to Jesus and going to multiply that stuff out. It's not even the right stuff to be multiplying. We're having first world problems this morning. So love for us is something that we love to talk about. We talk about it so much that we've used it to describe everything. You love everything. I love everything. And in effect, we do not love anything. Because we use the same word to describe every single thing. So when you read through these fruit of the Spirit and the the concepts that are there, you begin to see, well, if we're going to talk about loving in a world where everyone loves everything, can you show me where the Bible demonstrates that? Because there are various people from various faith backgrounds who would use love differently than the Christian is supposed to use the word love. So when we talk about these these items that are listed off by Paul, we have to consider what he said about various fruit, today's in particular being love. He has said in other places when he says to us in Philippians that you're to work out your salvation. It's not something that you work for, Right? When we talk about these fruit of the Spirit and how you're to walk in step with them, that lets us know that there are going to be times for the believer where we are not attempting to walk in step with these things. So there's this fine tension between God's divine providence and our choice. That we are people who are working against our natural desires and our natural inclinations. And God is saying to us in this passage, work out this salvation. So what does that mean? I don't know if you're an exerciser. If you are, I'm sorry. It's really, it's a difficult life. But if you are someone who likes to exercise, I need to be clear with you. When you say things like you're, you are developing muscle, you need to remember those are not muscles that you are creating yourself. They are muscles that are becoming more and more obvious. The muscle that's there is there. 
And you, as you grow in your exercise and in the discipline of of working out, they will become more obvious. In the same sense, when we're talking about working out our salvation or walking in step with the Spirit in Galatians, what we're saying is for the believer in Jesus, as you grow in maturity towards Jesus, these concepts should be more obvious in your life and in my life. That love should be more obvious today in the way that you treat the world around you than it was when you became a Christian. Somehow that's not always how it works. Because we're jaded and we're cynical. Maybe not you. But we grow jaded and cynical and frustrated with with the fact that we are called to deal with fallen, broken people. Are you more loving today toward the people who were around you than you were when you came to know Jesus? Because, and honestly, that doesn't, it's not just limited to the people that we interact with regularly. Are we loving toward people who disagree with us in various areas of life? Are you loving towards the people who disagree with you politically? Are you loving toward the people who are honestly just dum-dums at work? I am. Are you loving towards the people? (laughs) Are you loving toward people that you interact with regularly? So we're going to look in, in John chapter 13. If we're talking about love, there, there's only one disciple to read from. Or there, well, there's a bunch, but there's one that really likes to consider love. And he, his name is John. And, and John loved the concept of love so much that he called himself the one that Jesus loves. Now that sounds super sincere, But if I'm me and John is John and he's saying I'm the one that Jesus loves, I'm thinking, what a bragger. I don't know if I want to hang out with that guy. It would be if if someone asked Jared about our church and he was telling them who worked here and he said, well, Christine is our administrative assistant and Chad preaches and the other talented guy is the one who can sing really well. Uh, He goes on to write a book about his experience at Grace Bible, but he always refers to himself in third person. I'm the talented one who could sing really well, and and I met my wife when she was a a NASA intern before she was a rocket doctor. Uh, The talented one who who can sing really well is the only person I know who can decorate your house and fill dress a deer. That's a quote from Brian McKenzie, former pastor here. That's the first thing he told me about Jared. I did not know what I was walking into. I did, I did not. We were going to have deer head in this sanctuary worship center. The talented one who can sing really well, he picks up a couple of happy hour sonic drinks every single day. Uh, the, what if that's how Jared talked about himself or how you talked about yourself third person but that's what John says and he's going to tune our attention as we read through his gospel to the idea of what love is because we see it over and over from John he's showing us what love is and as he shows us what love is there's one verse that I love where we're given a new command from him so you're in John chapter 13 just like me in John chapter 13 verse 31 we read this from Jesus just to set the tone for us He has just concluded washing the feet of the disciples. And when Jesus left, he said, when Judas had left, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, 
And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Jesus talking about his exaltation, him talking about his crucifixion and how all sin will be made right there and how eventually and ultimately he will defeat sin through the cross that will be declared in the resurrection. Then he goes low level on the ground with the men who he has spent his life with and this is how he tells them after he has said this incredibly high level spiritual theological concept children I'm with you a little while longer you will look for me and just as I told the Jews so now I tell you where I'm going you cannot come then he says this to them and now I give you a new command Now, the Jewish people, they knew commands. For the ones who could read, the Pharisees, they had 613. We've talked about that in here. They knew there were that many. And, And for this society, this oral society, even if you could not read, you were familiar with the vast amount of commands that you were given every single day. And Jesus has just said to them, I'm about to give you a new one. So you lean in. And as you lean in, you pull out your notepad, if you can take notes, to write down what he's about to say. And as they lean in, Jesus said to them, Love one another. That's not new. You've been telling us that for weeks. The Old Testament's about loving one another. They were attempting to find a new mindset. To set their minds for what he was about to say. We we need a new command. This will be what puts us over the top. This command's not new. It's just been now displayed in full. Love one another. They're getting everything together. Trying to figure out what they might have missed in their inability to love each other. Thinking through uh, the, the dot, the I's they had not dotted and the T's they had not crossed. Love one another. What does that look like? What does that feel like? What does that seem like? A mindset. That's what they wanted. Give me something to focus my mind on. I was in an exercise class that I paid like cash money for at one point. And, and they made you run on a treadmill. Uh, meal. I didn't mean, tre- treadmill. I would leave the treadmill to go get a treadmill. But uh, there was one coach who would always say things to you as they're guiding you on the treadmill. Get your mind right. Get your mind right. Get your mind right. That's what the disciples want to do. I want to get my mind around this. But Jesus does not give them a mindset. To display and explain love, Jesus goes beyond that. He doesn't tell them, get yourself to a place where you can figure this out. Get yourself to a place where you're in the headspace to make this right. 
He doesn't give them a mindset. He gives them a model. Here it is. A new command I give you, love one another. That you love one another. By this, you, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus has just told them about loving one another. This is what it looks like. Just like I love you, you love each other. So, so they love commands in the Old Testament. But we, there are, there's a top ten list that you're probably familiar with. And as you look at this top ten list of commands, you can see how the interactions work in them. There, there are really two basic breakdowns of the Ten Commandments. Two basic breakdowns of all of Scripture's commandments. There's the idea of the love of God and the love of man for God's sake. When you look at the top ten from Exodus, you get this. You shall have no other gods before me. That is falling under the category of love of God. You shall not make idol. That's falling under the category of love of God. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Falling under the category of love of God. You shall remember and keep the Sabbath day holy. Falling under the category of love of God. And then we see this transition of the love of human beings for the sake of God. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder people. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal you must not give false evidence against your neighbor. Don't be envious of your neighbor's stuff. Then when you look at the rest of the commands in the New Testament, those that we uh, in large part uh, are unfamiliar with, if we're going to use for lack of a better terminology, those commands are there to help us to love one another as well. Jesus has just said, hey, just like I've loved you, Love each other. So how does Jesus love? Because the Bible does give us pictures of how Jesus loves. I'm so glad you asked because there are massive examples of it in the scripture. The first thing that we see is that Jesus, when we look at the love of Jesus, he loves selflessly. Selflessly. John chapter 13, at the very beginning, the, before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come. To depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So this is the active display of Jesus' selfless love. When it was time for supper, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had... This is verse 3 of John 13. Jesus knew the Father had given everything into his hands and he had come from God and he was going, to, going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. Washing the feet of disciples is very different than the way that we have seen foot washing done in the modern church. Because when we see it done now, it is a symbol. However, when we look at it in Scripture, this is a practical need for these men. Consider the streets that they walked down. If they could afford sandals, consider what they were walking on and how callous their feet happened to be. Think about the fact that they don't get around from in cars. The animals are everywhere. And animals, they do not seek privacy, if you will. 
They are walking through the streets of this world, cobblestone, when you're lucky. And as they walk, their feet are worn out. And Jesus pulls off his outer cloak and he washes their feet. This is a practical need. Jesus served them practically. This would be the equivalent of you going to a friend's home and washing their toilet. You don't do that. You've not shown up in my house. That's my job. Imagine that. The filthiest thing you could do. The most disgusting thing you could do. That's what Jesus does. He loves selfish, selflessly. Selflessly. And as he loves selflessly. Their response. What he expects from them. Is not for them to turn around. And tell him to have a seat. In the seat. So they can wash his feet. He says to them. So you do this for each other. Fruit of the Spirit of love is active in us because we are reacting to the love of God toward us. When we look at this passage together and we really begin to look and see and think through the way that we live out love, is it selfless? However, it's not just Him washing feet. For the sake of washing feet. He's actually washing feet to point towards something that's even bigger. The second thing we see when we consider the the love of Jesus. Is that he will love sacrificially. That on the cross of Jesus he will spread out his arms. That we sing about regularly. And, And if you're like hey why do we sing about blood so much. Because if we don't sing about blood we don't have a whole lot to sing about. That he would shed his blood for our sins. Because in the shedding of his blood, he makes right all that's wrong in us. So there are popular songs that we sing. One of my favorite songs that we sing, it's probably six years old now, In Christ Alone. And there was a big to-do a few years ago because some denomination wanted to purchase the rights to the song, but they wanted to change the lyrics of the song. And they wanted to change the lyrics from On the Cross Where Jesus Died... uh, the wrath of God was satisfied. That, that's what they want to change because that, that seems rough. Wrath is rough. Newsflash. And they wanted to change the lyric too. And you may not be familiar with this because you're not on my Twitter feed. But they wanted to change the lyric to the love of God was magnified. On the cross where Jesus died, the love of God is magnified. That second phrase is true. But it's the result of the first. Of God is magnified because the wrath of God was satisfied. This two-sided coin. And we talk about Jesus when he, when he dies on the cross. And Jared just does this great job explaining how that works. When we work through songs. That God would give his son and offer his son up as the death of his son for our sins. Simultaneously. 
Jesus says, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down. This sacrificial love. It's the idea that we see and we know that Scripture teaches us that Jesus is not at odds with God. Though he does pray, Lord, let this cup pass from me. But even in praying that, he says, not my will though, yours. yours. That Jesus loves us and models sacrificial love. So, you're not going to die for anyone's sin. So let's be clear. If in your mind you think you should die for the sins of another, you are not a Christian. You have started your own cult. That's what that is. You don't die for the sins of someone else. Now, we do have people that offer up great sacrifices and we don't want to take away from that. But we don't die for another person's sin. How do I love sacrificially? How do I love sacrificially? And we do so by seeing an extension of that selfless love where we see what we have, the resources that we know that God has given us. Your time, your talent, your treasures, words that we use a, a good bit in here, that we see that those things ultimately don't belong to us. They belong to the God who made us. And that we will be sacrificial with the way that we use those things. The way that we exert those things. The way that we spend toward those things. And the way that we use our time. Are you sacrificially loving to the way that you care for someone with your time? With your talents? There are so many great people in this room who have helped me. Because I am not. I'm not good with things like building stuff. And Jared knows there's never going to be a day where I am. He just keeps looking at me like, man, if you were a wide receiver in the NFL draft coming out this year, you'd basically be a guy who had no hands. Like that that's what I am. I don't know how to do things. But sacrificial use of your time. So many of you, I noticed this with our body. Even a two years in. You come around one another and you love one another incredibly well. You model sacrificial love. We love sacrificially. Are we continuing to do that with all that we have? With the money in our pockets? Are we sacrificially loving? Some of you have come around, some of our camp kids who are leaving tomorrow, and you have loved sacrificially. You have given to the end of them being able to be part of an experience of the gospel, whether it's at our kid camp that we're going to or our youth camp. Thank you for doing that. These are just all things that help, that help us to measure what it means for us to be the people of God. Not because we are causing God to love us we're not putting fruit on the tree we're seeing fruit grow in us when we do we're not gluing a pineapple to a pine tree or an orange to a strawberry tree I know they don't grow on trees you get them in H-E-B Texas forever uh Finally, we see this in John 21. Those who, the fruit of the Spirit, active and alive in us, because Jesus has modeled for this for us. 
selfless, sacrificial love. We do see some success there. Jesus loves successfully. The reason that I can call you and the I being not me, but the reason that we can open scripture together and I as your pastor and can say that we should love selflessly and sacrificially is because Jesus and his love, they were successful. If there is no resurrection, this is super dumb. So get your Sunday morning back. Go get a burrito. But the love of Christ is successful in that it flips the way that these disciples live. Because you don't follow dead people. And you definitely don't give your life for a dead person. The resurrection of Jesus. This successful display that love wins. That the shedding of his blood on the cross. That the life that he lived that brought it to that him to that point. That he will not be defeated. Jesus loves successfully. And successful love, as we look, involves restoration. John chapter 21, you've got Jesus. And he goes to breakfast with his disciples. But they didn't know he was coming. Jesus was that guy in that moment. But he didn't just show up and ask you to feed him. He showed up and he fed them. I love that about Jesus. I like to go to people's house when they're just here. I'll bring it all. Table, spread, everything. 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now we all know Simon Peter, he told Jesus three times. He told people in the city three times, I don't want anything to do with this Jesus. You've got the wrong guy. So Jesus begins to restore because love does that. Active love does that. It seeks restoration. It seeks correction. It seeks to be more like Jesus and what he would have me to be and less like me and what I want me to be. Simon, you, I know you turned your back. He doesn't even say it. But Simon knows where we're headed, right? Do you love me more than these? Well, yes, Lord, I know. That, you know I, I think that's how he said it. He mumbled it. You know that I love you. Well, go feed my lambs. He, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do, do you love me? Simon, we know he's agitated by now because who, does, who likes to be asked something more than once? Yeah, I, I, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. So, third time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? We move from aggravation to grief. Peter was grieved that he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. The conversation on the front side of this, according to one gospel, he's saying to the people, to the ladies, Go get the disciples and Peter. 
And Jesus has just restored Peter to being what he would have him to be. This gives us some hope. Because I know that, especially in a place like where we live, that we have people in our lives who we love, who at one point in our time with them, they just seem to be locked in on Jesus. Anybody got those people? There was a time where you were at church together, or you were in a Sunday school class together, or you were in a small group together, or you were in something together where you just knew, man, that person, they're in. But for whatever reason, something happened, something broke. And you can't tell the difference in them and a tree in regards to their faith now. Right? This is just me. But what we see with Jesus as he models successful love of restoration is this. That we, as we live out the love of God in, their, in front of them, we are regularly given the chance to, to just say, hey, do you remember who you were we can talk about Christian and unchristian and we should but so many people in our lives have been de-churched because they were hurt or wronged or they got out of the habit and Jesus is saying to them hopefully through me and through you do you remember what it was like to love me because modeling that for us That Jesus has not given up on us. If you know that Jesus hasn't given up on you, then why in the world would you think he ever gave up on anyone else? This love modeled. These fruit, they're supposed to be on display. So we listen to what Jared read earlier, and I love this passage from 1 Corinthians about love. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm just nothing. If I give away all that I have, and I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is, does not, love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. Love is not arrogant. Love is not rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable. Love isn't resentful. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So if we're going to look at Jesus and we trust as believers that he's God, if you don't believe that Jesus is God, you're not a Christian. And God is love, meaning Jesus is love. We can read this and we can say that Jesus is patient. So I want patience to be obvious in me. I want, I want to be working in that direction because that fruit of the Spirit is there and I want to be tuning myself to that. Jesus is kind. And I don't always want to be kind, but as a believer in Jesus, that fruit that is there should be growing in a way where it's on display more. Jesus is not arrogant. So if arrogance is something that's there, it should be It should be being undone in us. Jesus is not rude. Jesus does not insist on his own way. Like I said, not, Lord, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours. 
Jesus is not resentful. Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Jesus rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things. He believes all things. He hopes all things. He endures all things. Do we? Do we at least want to be seeing that? We should. We should. As we live out a sacrificial, selfless love. Trusting in the success of God to bring all things to, to fruition. Here's what I want us to do this morning. I just want us to sit in that for a second. Your heads are bound. And and even as I say these things, I, I think that some of us may be in a place where we're just fed up with people. We're just kind of done with them. And we may be wondering, when, does it, when can I stop? Jesus says to us in John 15, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. So remain in my love. You stay here. You stay in my love. So those things will be clear. Stay in my love so that my love will be obvious. Because if you're operating in yours, you're not operating in anything that's eternal. Just like I commanded you to remain in my love. So there's somebody possibly on your heart right now that they're far from the Lord. But you know of a time where they were close to Him. And you're not really sure what to do. Could you just pray for them even right now? Maybe you're in the room and you look at your own life and you see that you've never placed a trust in God that is where the fruit of the Spirit would even be in you. And you remember that God so loved the world that He offered you a relationship with Himself. Now you would trust in Him this morning. Jesus, I need you. Possibility we look at our own stuff, our time, our energy, and we, we see where we're not giving of it. Just a reminder that God doesn't need your stuff. He loves you. And by giving, we're in this place where we remain in His love. Where we realize not, not that He's going to take it away, but that we are right in the heart of where God would have us to be when we remain in His love. If any of these things, if you need us to follow up with you about any of them, a relationship with Christ, let us know with that card that we handed you as you walk through the door. We'll follow up this week. If you just have someone that you want us to pray for, We'll pray for them. Just write their name down. so we can. You don't even have to give us the whole name because God knows the whole name. So Lord, we thank you for this morning and we thank you that your word is just really good. And you've chosen to to use people who always aren't that. 
So let us know you better because of the time we spent to you to, with you today in Scripture. We ask all that in the name of Jesus.